Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Should have they've killed off the iPod? I'm quite, I'm quite sad about this. I actually just found my iPod when I was moving house a couple of months ago, though, and it was oh, joyful. Oh, like what generation is it? Is it like a uh, real old school, like before the clicking No, wheel? I don't think so. I, I think it would be like circa 2006, and it has my oh. name engraved on the back of it. Oh, Those yeah. are um, worth a lot of money now, the original iPods. Oh, are they? People oh, are get they? them refurbished, and it's where they're like three, oh. 400 quid. Mine still works. I'm like, still going on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before I got a phone that had the, or a card that had like the Apple CarPlay thing, I used to have an old iPod that I'd use for long journeys, so like... Oodles of old music. Oh yeah, mine has all my college tunes on it. I absolutely love it. I remember just riddling the family computer on dial-up on LimeWire and Kazaa. Downloading Afro-Man, Afro-Man, because I got high. You got an altogether higher class of piracy on Bearshare. I never actually illegally downloaded music because my dad wouldn't let me. You wouldn't download a car? Yeah, you would. You've seen the price of cars. You're very welcome along to episode eight. God, episode eight. God, we're such veterans already. <laughs> episode eight of the group chat podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined as ever by news correspondents Zara King. Zara, hello. hello. How are you? And Richard Chambers. Hello. Hello. Uh, there's obviously very large and hugely massive stories to the state, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But we have to start with the the obvious story of the week, which is <laughs> inviting the team to identify their favourite part of evidence from the Wagatha Christie trial to date, because it has been gold. Can we start off? We need to give context. Okay. So this all, for, if you've been living on the moon for the last three years, this is a, a trial, a libel trial, uh, started by Ka, no, by uh, Rebecca Vardy, mm. who claims that, you might remember this, it was 2019, um, Colleen Rooney basically became a one-woman detective agency. It was mm. outstanding. The work was outstanding. So yeah. she had a suspicion that somebody... Uh, one of her friends was leaking stories to the tabloids and they were particularly, you know, very invasive of her privacy. So she began this campaign on Instagram to basically weed out and try and find who that person was who was uh, st- uh, passing on these stories. And she was putting up quite ridiculous stories, wasn't she? Because this like, is what she did. This, yeah. is, this is her detective work. She basically yeah. put up a load of false stories and she whittled down and she basically mm. uh, put it on a private story, which only one account could see. Yeah, so she hid stories th- from everyone except one user. Exactly. And it was, with 10 dots for dramatic effect, it's Rebecca, Rebecca Vardy's account. account. Yes, yeah. we all remember that now. Yeah. But Rebecca where Vardy were you, was... Buddy, where were you when you read it? I was at some was doorstep with Pascal Donoghue and I remember specifically him being asked which side he was on and I was like, I'm team Rebecca. I was up the Wicklow Mountains. <laughs> were you? I was doing a walk around the Guinness Lake. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. The only little reception I had was used refreshing my phone and I was like, this is the best day ever. Oh, I was in the newsroom and I remember everyone in the newsroom just gasping. They were like, this is phenomenal. Yeah. But yeah. this is because... I, did, I actually did the package out that day, I think. Oh, it was a lot of stories to be That's signed an accolade. To. It was huge. So it's now in court. It's in court because Rebecca Vardy claims that um, when this all broke, she was very heavily pregnant at the time. She was on holiday. She says that she suffered huge personal losses. All of her friends Seven turned on her. Seven months pregnant, yeah. exactly. That there was a huge health impact, that there was, you know, obviously 
you know, people started posting rat emojis under her things on Instagram mm. that it really cost her. And she claims it was not her. Yeah. This is her defense that and, it was and, not her. And, the, and the she cru- went on these women and had a, you know, broke down crying over and everything. She was very distressed. The, the crux of libel for people who don't understand the whole sort of media thing is that basically you, you argue that your good name was unfairly smeared by someone else. That something, mm. some, someone said something which A, wasn't true and B, like damaged your character or your good name as a result, which has led to a genuinely comical opening two days uh, as we record this of legal proceedings, uh, which has just been just like there's oh, a guy, the, the media editor from The Guardian, Jim Watterson, is among many people who've been tweeting it. And it's just gold. Jim is honestly gold himself yeah. at this point. Now, just to point out the crucial part of what Colleen Rooney said was the word account. It yes, was Rebecca Vardy's, Vardy's account. account. And that's going to be crucial in terms of, I suppose, Colleen Rooney defending mm. herself and all of this. But all of this is because Rebecca Vardy is the person instigating this case. She is suing Colleen Rooney because her good name was maligned mm-hmm. and she says unfairly. So she is the one who is, you would, from the outset, is is trying to convince the court that she is the victim here. And the first couple of days of court proceedings have not given that impression. For the person who is instigating the case, at the time that we were recording this, she's not having the greatest PR experience no. of the whole thing. I think it's, um, it's, it's been one of the great joys of my life to be off today, off work today, and have, to have the time to sit at home, <laughs> scroll through the timeline, look at the courtroom sketches, yeah. which are marvellous, by the way. We'll come back yeah. to sketches them. Sketches are dreadful. We'll come back to them. We'll come back to <laughs> okay. them. But um, Colleen Rooney has, or Rebecca Vardy, I should say, has been in the stand effectively for the first two days of this. And uh, Colleen Rooney's lawyer has been taking her to task over what he would say is a history of her uh, putting stories in the press, text messages between herself and her agent effectively saying, mm. uh, you know, leaking stories and trying to leak stories to the press about whether that be J- her husband, Jamie Vardy, the Leicester mm. City and England footballer. No longer having a party as a result of all yeah, of this. Yeah, Jamie Vardy <laughs> having a party, but basically leaking stories to the press about his teammates and other people. Um, and it's not been good. I can see, mm. I can see... I can see in my mind's eye, if I was Rebecca Vardy and I was looking at how everything has gone since she's taken this case and the the absolute circus that it's been and the embarrassment of having your texts read out Mm. to all of the media editors and correspondents and the world and people who don't even focus on the news are watching and reading this and listening to podcasts about this and every one of your texts which are highly highly Mm. embarrassing but particularly because she's trying to say that she was unfairly smeared by Colleen Rooney's accusation in this post and yet it's already been established that she does have an established habit of feeding information to the press to curry positive coverage of herself and and very unfortunate turn of events in fairness with the agent's phone ending up in the North Sea and a couple of other factors along the way there. Uh, just worth noting as well that David Sherbin, who's working for uh, Colleen Rooney, also represented Meghan Markle um, oh. in her case as well. So there's definitely, you know, a bit of a heavyweight mm. uh, um, in terms of that. Well, all of which brings us back to the first question, which is what, have your, what is your favourite piece of testimony so far from the opening two days? Because there's so <laughs> much to think so of. There's so much. It's kind of hard to pick a favourite. I feel very sorry for Peter Andre that he got dragged into it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. We have to explain why. We have to explain yeah. why. Uh, so Rebecca Vardy was asked in the stand by Colleen Rooney's uh, senior counsel, or QC, as it will be over there um, do you consider yourself to be someone who respects privacy and she says yes and the council then read out an extract from an interview that she previously gave where she described having sex with the singer Peter Andre this obviously before she met and married Jamie Vardy in which uh, he, she was quite uh, ungenerous about what he she called his 
trouser equipment and likened it to a small chipolata. Chipolata. Which is a cocktail sausage, cocktail which, I, sausage. which I had to check with you guys earlier on what that means because I didn't know what it was. Well, I had to Google chipolata. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I Googled it. So yeah. she's been, she says she respects privacy, but she likens the penises of former partners to a cocktail sausage. I think it is important to say, it is important to say that her defence for this and her reasoning around this was that she says that she was forced to do this interview by her husband of the time. Mm. Um, and okay. she says that th- she has changed since then, but it is evidence which is going to be used yeah. Uh, to sort of paint her as the sort of person who does not respect people's privacy mm. and who gives things freely to the press. The whole point of this is, though, because she, Colleen Rooney is being sued for defamation on this one. Colleen Rooney effectively has to prove one of two things, right? That either it was Rebecca Vardy directly who leaked all this stuff, the stories about whether she was considering going on Dancing at the Stars, that her flat was being flooded, mm. and that... Um, that, she, that was the giveaway story. She faked that her basement had been flooded, and that was the story that was viewed by only one account, which was Rebecca Vardy's account. And all exactly. well, of them were viewed by just the one account. Yeah, the other the other big bogus story, which was... The one like, about the gender, the yeah, going, her, away for going to travel to, uh, to Mexico yeah. for uh, gender, treatment. gender selection treatment. Yeah. Um, so, Colleen Rooney has to prove that either this was definitely Rebecca Vardy who did this or you know to a certain degree that this is absolutely something even though the word in. account is included in it yeah. she didn't imply mm. that it was definitely Rebecca Vardy because I mean a lot of these celebrities who people don't understand would have people managing their Instagram accounts who that would have access that brings me to the next point their businesses you know yeah is that she can also win this if she proves that Rebecca Vardy's agent did this on an understanding of approval from Rebecca Vardy. Mm-hmm. So if she does that, Rebecca Vardy loses again. The only way Rebecca Vardy wins this is if it is established by the court that effectively her agent went off on a complete solo run on this and did this herself. And the couple of texts that we've seen between them yeah. suggest they were close and that there was a like lot for of example, communication between when them. When she discovers stories. that Colleen Rooney has blocked her from the personal account and the yeah. agent texts her to say, uh, babe, has Colleen just unfollowed you? And this isn't even going on a broadcast, but we can't really repeat the word that she uses back. It's a four-letter C word um, to say that that's what Colleen is for having blocked her. I'm going to mm-hmm. text her now. So there's already an established relationship between the two of them that this might be par for the course. Mm. Might uh, be. It's so look, we spoke about this earlier today. I mean, this is running into the millions in terms of the cost of this case. Mm. I think it's three million. Is the uh, estimate, three million is the estimate, yeah. and people say that's really a, a modest yeah. estimate. Um, Extraordinary amount of money. If you were cynical, you might argue that. Uh, this type of money is a bargain in terms of the publicity and the attention that has been drawn to both of these women. Now, listen, it may be negative publicity yeah, and we spoke there, we'll, there is such a, that There out. is such a thing as negative publicity. But the reality, publicity, yeah. Gavin, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they couldn't buy this level of coverage. This is, you know, you can see it's a, it's a circus mm. at the court every day. It's a huge amount of coverage. Uh, and both of them, you know, are clearly people who trade on that type of, of media coverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think Rebecca Vardy's sort of counter to that would be well look what it's already cost me I'm an absolute ridicule figure if this court case goes against her Mm. and it has been proven then that she's the sort of person that will leak stories about her friends her colleagues her husband's colleagues to the press her husband's colleagues which which includes like the England international football team tell us more about that Jamie Vardy is is the star striker for Leicester City he Mm -hmm. was the the star striker in their fairy tale run improbable run to become English champions in 2020 and he's also quite regularly a striker with the England national team which means his colleagues aren't just the people that he uh, shares a club with they're also the people alongside whom he played internationally like 
Once Upon a Time, Wayne, Wayne Rooney, mm-hmm. Colleen's husband. So if uh, Rebecca Vardy has been established as a mole who is feeding stories not only about the other Leicester City footballers, but about like the primary footballers on the England national team and is feeding stories about them to the sun in exchange for more favourable coverage for herself and her husband. It's pretty significant. Yeah, and a couple yeah. of examples of this then today. Um, the, the most... Um, interesting one was perhaps that she tried to leak the story through text messages that the court showed that um, she tried to leak stories about Danny Drinkwater who is a former England international himself mm. uh, about him potentially being up for drink driving and then it established that they had to pull that idea of well, we're going to leak this story because well the story was already out there mm. the other one as well was about Riyad Mahrez who now plays for Manchester City about him not being in training and quote unquote all the lads are fuming uh, and she was like, oh, and uh, Colleen's agent, I think it was, said that, oh, we could get onto a Sky reporter with that story. That would yeah, be Rebecca's good. agent, yeah, said, yeah, yeah we, we'd get onto someone yes. and feed that story. Yeah. So there's a lot of this happening, um, and there's a lot of texts which are going around. So I do think that there probably is going to be an impact. I, well, there's going to be an impact to this anyway, and there mm. already has been an impact. But if there's a view that this is all going to be good publicity anyway, and there probably is a truth to that to some degree, yeah. there's probably a backlash to it. My favourite bit of the whole thing so far. Go on. And I did mention it earlier on, mm. is Wayne Rooney. The, oh, the, the yes, the, so the court's the images, uh, because they, Britain still has the, the whole habit of, of having courtroom illustrations of some chalk artist doing likenesses of those in the witness box. Do you think Wayne Rooney looks like Wayne Rooney? Or do you think he looks more oh. like Conor McGregor or <laughs> Labour TD Jed Nash? I've, or it's any <laughs> other generic bearded bald man? Because of the interest in that there are so many different courtroom artists who are in there. Depends on which one you look at. It yeah. really does. <laughs> some of them, there's some a variety there. there. Some of them looks like um, former you know, government minister Rory Quinn. Uh, Fair, yeah. There's yeah. there's Jed Nash, there's Conor McGregor, there's mm. WWE wrestler Triple H is in there as well. And none of these look particularly flattering. Yeah. And it's so yeah. interesting that there's like seven or eight different artists in the same room and they still can't draw the same dude. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. of the most recognisable figures <laughs> in recent British history, Wayne Rooney, the top goal scorer in, in the history. history. Yeah. Uh, and just some of the details from court from Jim Watterson and other people who are covering it, basically saying that Wayne Rooney has been devoutly by the side of Colleen Rooney throughout this. Yeah. Uh, and have been basically a few feet away. Hasn't always from been their nemesis. He hasn't always hasn't been, always been and by he's the side. He's got controversial well. comments here. Yeah. But uh, just a few feet away from um, Rebecca Vardy and um, how he has basically taken on the role of um, effectively showing very strong public support for his wife, uh, holding the door open for her, and then she'd be quite slow to react. So he's basically, you just have England's all-time record goal scorers there sitting, standing in the courtroom, holding the door open, and loads of passes for your file pass, and, and, and just go on through. Yeah. It's just great. That's yeah. great. I love mm. that sort of stuff. This is going to run and run and run. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of salacious details. I think it is actually important. I think it's a good um, insight into, I suppose the dangers of social media. Well, it's, it's quite yeah. interesting just as, as media people. We really must move on from this because we could basically launch a spin-off podcast based on how much we want to talk about it. But, and many people have. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's kind of fascinating like as people who work in the media and sometimes people don't understand the, like the how many like safeguards you have to take before you basically say anything about anyone. Um, well, the culture so, in Ireland is different to the UK. It is. Now, let's mm. be honest. But the, the, the selling the, of stories culture, I don't like see it existing no, in, I, I, in any I don't think it, it could be near, nearly as prominent. But I think there is a general theme of people don't understand that you, we can't just be willy-nilly 
throwing allegations around, even if there there might be good public interest to put them out there. Because yeah, even when you this is an illustration of what happens when you do that and you get it wrong. Yeah, and you have to think about like I suppose the sun as well, like in terms of where were they, like you know the sourcing of that. So whoever leaked those stories to them, were they taking perhaps screenshots of of the Instagram account as as sort of okay, this is a primary source. This is Colleen Rooney mm. saying this on her Instagram to not her personal followers. That there was a limited. Well, following. and also probably not realizing that, that it was a ruse, that it was you know deliberately put there to, to catch people out. So, well, I guess like goddamn. I, thought, I, I really thought that the work that Colleen Rooney did on this, regardless of the outcome, it was, it was, it was impressive. phenomenal. It was Poirot-esque. If, if Wayne yeah. just wants to shave the rest of the beard and just leave a little twiddly Belgian moustache. Just it, worth it noting really before well. we finish on this point though, just Rebecca Vardy's agent who's been mentioned a few times here today um, is apparently not very well mm. and is not contributing to this court case. Okay. So that's just something that should be noted. So, you know, not really involved in all of this. Her but, statement, I think, has been... Yeah. Withdrawn, hasn't it? Effectively, so, as a result, yeah, all of exactly. her prior statements have been pulled because out. She's not well, and that's something that's probably okay. a factor in all One of this. One to watch. I think we should come back to it. Uh, oh, it's, there, yeah. there is loads of listening material about this, and uh, much as we are tempted to launch a spin off podcast about the Wagatha Christie trial, there's, there's plenty of material out there, and no doubt we will come back and uh, realise what fools we were for such hot takes maybe in a week or two's time. <laughs> this is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day Sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, probably the biggest story of the week or the one that's uh, occupying uh, mainstream headlines and we've been doing an awful lot on ourselves on air is the controversy over the National Maternity Hospital uh, which is to be built on the site of St Vincent's and speculation about whether there would or wouldn't be some influence by the landlord and whether the landlord is or isn't uh, a religious entity. Um, this is going to be a long-running saga because even by the time people have heard this there will have been more hearings at the Oireachtas Health Committee but there was an epic one today with uh, the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly with Rona Mahoney with other figures from the HSE. Zara, you and I were both watching this. Yeah. It was uh, four just hours. It was a two-man job today. It was a two-man yeah, job because it was just, it was, there was some so amount of material in it. In it. Yeah, there was. Uh, what was your standout takeaway or just impression from the whole thing? I mean, look, the, the takeaway from it is that there's still so many questions that sort of not remain necessarily unanswered, but people are not satisfied with those answers. And I think until you get to a point where people are satisfied, really the thing remains at an impasse in mm. terms of the situation. I mean, Stephen Donnelly was asked today, would he be, um, you know, pushing on with this irrespective next week? I think it was David Conan who said, you know, is it a fait accompli or like are you just you know are these 
committee meetings just for the sake of sort of airing it out or are you actually going to go back and have discussions and see if anything can change yeah. and he had said you wouldn't rule anything out because there seems to have, sorry to interrupt you there seems to have been very little point in the cabinet delaying everything for two weeks if they weren't going to then consider some changes even only little tinkery ones mm. because if you delay for two weeks then you just do exactly what you were going to do then you haven't really portrayed much of an open mind or an open ear to any of the concerns that people are expressing. Mm, I think that like the reality for people as well is that this religious uh, you know aspect of it and this idea of clinical independence still bothers people and it doesn't matter if you you know I went into Hollis Street earlier this week and spoke to a lot of the people working on the front line there because I wanted to hear what they thought of the situation even spoke to one mother who was more than happy to speak to us about mm. uh, her situation. She and was a trooper because she, she like, she'd, she'd been through the mill that day. She like, that's that going morning, on. Yeah, yeah. But she was really keen to talk oh, about gosh. it which is you know and that's how passionate people feel about this as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, and everyone we met that day of course it was like we really want a new national maternity hospital and like it needs to happen and we're waiting nine years and and all of those things but you know behind all of that as well is the concern about that uh, you know religious involvement or or lack you know lack of clinical independence now everyone you talk to will say there is absolute clinical independence every doctor you'll speak to will say they never feel uh, the hand of religion on their shoulder but the reality is things can change in a country in over a 300 year period you know it's like things are great now but you know who's to say that we mightn't end up in a situation where we end up with a Donald Trump type character you know as the Taoiseach in Ireland in 50 years time and has completely different views to the government right now you know I think that's what people are worried about is the long term implications and how things might change over time I think there's a couple of things which stick out to me from having a look at the committee today I think that there was a noted change in approach from the government both from the minister in the room Stephen Donnelly and from Micheál Martin on Twitter uh, he posted a yes. very rare video to camera mm. basically saying, I want with, to with set it. subtitles and everything else. Yeah. Like full, full watch full on music. Very rare you yeah. get that from Micheál Martin. I think yeah. that, that's, that's something, something to note. But there was very much a conciliatory tone to this because there has now been a little bit of wavering from people in Fine Gael and in the Greens in particular mm. about this. And when that's happened, you're starting to hear people like Stephen Donnelly say, well, the concerns that people have are understandable, mm. which is not really what he's no, been saying before. No, because Michael Martin was standing up in, in leaders' questions for most of the last week and says that he just doesn't think there's any basis or any merit to any of the, the complaints that people are bringing forward. You've heard and now suddenly Stephen Donnelly's saying, no, your concerns are legitimate and we're going to hear them out. Yes. Which is definitely a change of tone. Mm. The, 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 the words like red herrings have been thrown around in terms of looking at how people who are concerned about this and how their approach is while now they're saying well now this is quite understandable there's a couple of questions which I think it's interesting Sarah, you mm. mentioned the fact that mm. he wouldn't rule out that they'd go back and have a look at the constitution thing then in the same breath though he did also say didn't he that he didn't think there was much to be you know I think yeah. it's even the door ajar where it wasn't yes. ajar before there's yeah. a ramp there there's a ramp there yeah it's interesting that this why was this not said two weeks ago. This has created a massive controversy for the government. That's something they could have done two weeks ago. Say, look, we're going to have a look at this at the committee. We aren't ruling anything out. It was presented to everybody as this was a done, done deal. Mm. Okay? Mm. Which doesn't have the public support if you judge the opinion poll on Sunday, Sunday Independent at the weekend. Yes, so 60% great. of people mm. yeah. aren't don't, happy with don't, it. Don't favour this. Why mm. also has the state not been shown the correspondence between the Vatican and St. Vincent's? Mm. If there, was, if there were any, yes. which, which is the point, because it's it's obviously very difficult to turn over correspondence if none exists. Uh, the approval that the Vatican gave to the sale of the land or the, mm-hmm. like, the handing it over from the sisters to this new charity has been published. And it just says, oh, if you just comply with these clauses of canon law and... This isn't a podcast about canon law. People debate what those, those clauses of canon law actually mean. Yeah. But that, it, it would seem 
as far as the government is concerned, that that's the only correspondence with the Vatican. And they're not saying you have to use this property for to certain ends or that you can't use it for certain actions that we don't approve with. Yes. It, it seems their account of it is that there was no instruction from the Vatican about how all of this can be used in future, which might surprise some people or they might consider it to be too good to be true. But that is their account of it. Another thing that people also think is too good to be true is the idea that the nuns, the Sisters of Charity, would set up a new charity... Uh, Sorry, double use of the word charity there. But they would set up a new charitable vehicle uh, with no religious ethos or influence or agenda whatsoever mm. and completely sign over the ownership of a highly valuable and highly lucrative healthcare regime with no quid pro quo or no strings attached or no like ethical instructions on how to use it afterwards. Mm. And that kind of is at the crux of everything because if you do accept that the nuns gifted the whole empire to a brand new secular charity and have said, farewell, off you go, then all the, a lot of the concerns about a potential re- religious ethos kind of melt away. But if you find that to be a little too good to, to believe, which is understandable given the history of this country, then that's where the elements about will there be some religious hangover and can that be brought to bear in the new facility, that's where they all come from. Well, like even just back to a very like, basic human level, mm. it's like your mother-in-law giving you a site to build a house, but not <laughs> actually giving it to you for keeps. Like It's like you can have the site there for 100 years and you build your house on it, yeah. but then your mother-in-law starts telling you how to rear the kids. Or You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. kind of like, you know what I mean? There's a kind of, if you strip it away yeah. back, okay, to very base levels, would, any, would you build a house there. in somewhat? No, well, I mean, obviously I don't have a mother-in-law, but I'm just saying, like, you know, when you strip it back to a very basic level, like, mm. would you build your house in someone else's field that you didn't own. The, you know fu- I mean? the funny thing is, I was talking to a landlord today after all of this because the, the, the government's presentation is if, you have, if you've got a lease for 300 years, you might as well own it, that it's basically ownership mm. in all but legal And that's name. what they said today in the committee, by the yeah. way, that the, that the arrangement and the agreement is, is such that the state would have full responsibility and mm. full sort of ownership of the land. For the Somebody years. pointed out to me that Stradbally Hall, the uh, place in Stradbally and County Leash, known for most people as being close to the site of Electric Picnic, um, the owners of that technically own the land and under most of the like other houses of just civilian John and Joe Soaps and Joe and Mary Bloggses in that in whole area, area. Uh, and the people who ostensibly own their own houses only own uh, like an indefinite lease on that home mm. they own the building mm-hmm. but that the Cosby family that owns Strab Valley Hall owns the land underneath it and like it's, a, it's more common than people would actually think this idea that you've got this hugely long lease where you're paying like a, a like a, a token tenner a year in rent and that that entitles you to exclusive it's use of the ground. Maternity hospital, Gavin, is the thing. Well, mm, well and is this is problem. kind of what it comes down to because <laughs> yeah. I, I did a, a, an Instagram question box earlier on where I was asking people, you know, what what are your questions about this? And and pretty much universally, the question was why why don't we just own the land or why can't we compel the sisters to hand over the land? And the first thing to say is that the sisters are, are no longer involved because the sisters have handed it all over to a charity, and the charity does not is not run by nuns and has no overt religious mentions in its constitution. Well, that kind of does just bring us to the clip I wanted to play for you before we oh, get yes, into the comments because yeah. that actually does touch on that point because Breed Smith today in the committee was talking about that and saying that, you know, the hand of religion doesn't necessarily just come through nuns. It's, it's a more deep-rooted issue and that's why people have those reservations. Let's just take a listen to that clip. Religious interference doesn't always appear in nuns with long veils, trapes in the corridors, Mother Mary Aiken images. That's not what we mean when we talk about religious interference. We mean a deep-seated, deep-rooted prejudice and inbuilt um, thinking about women's health that goes into the heart of the civil service, into the heart of the health service, into the heart of the political establishment. 
So that's Breed Smith of People Before Prophet uh, arguing that you don't have to have an explicit mention of God or the Sisters of Charity or Mary Aikenhead in the Constitution for there to be some religious kind of influence, um, which is possibly then why it kind of seems that influence is in the eye of the beholder because the new constitution of, of Vincent's, the holding company, doesn't mention Mary Aikenhead, but it does mention her five values and talks about human dignity and advocacy and other stuff that some people interpret as being religious even if it isn't, which makes it very difficult to assure everyone that there wouldn't be any ethos at play. And then I suppose it's just important to note today as well that the clinicians that were present, the experts um, that were there with the minister today did say, look, you know, things like terminations, for example, are currently happening. They're saying on the site at St Vincent's and that, mm. you know, that they are providing full service in terms of, of what women need at the moment and they, therefore they would have no reason to believe that they wouldn't continue to do that into yes. the future. But then the point was made by Breed Smith actually in a follow-up that, you know, look at the United States and Roe versus Wade, you know, they can't even guarantee their people in America and out of the future in terms of that. So mm. the point that Breed Smith was making is that we don't know what sort of government we're going to have down the line or in the future and that this is a, it's not about now that it's a more long-term mm. concern. I think it is also interesting that there has been so much focus on the term clinically appropriate. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of the government sort of response to that has been, well, this is to make sure that this hospital is just used as a maternity hospital, mm. that you don't use, you see, you see anything else. We're going to get else. into and cancer care and dermatology or uh, Dermatology, you or, said it there, Gavin. Yeah. I mean, they said now today that yeah. the new maternity hospital will have... Well, dermatology just... The new just, building will have dermatology. Yes, exactly. But, but not, like, not the maternity Dermatology hospital. has an overlap with gynecology, just in some cases. Okay. It does, yeah. But the fact of the matter is that this has been said as, uh, as oh, this is a catch-all thing and it means uh, just to make sure that this is used as a maternity hospital, even though the Constitution actually he already says that later on in it. But if there's been such a focus on clinically appropriate, one of the main things, and it's one of the people within government parties have been saying, one of the easiest ways they, they can, the government can go a long way to allaying a lot of the fears in this mm. is to spell out mm. what exactly they mean. And whether, like spell out terminations, uh, IVF, all of that stuff. Mm. Spell it out in the literature, in the constitution of it. Because the parties have been sending around their own literature on this, in which they they do spell it out. Yeah. That Fine Gael basically sent around a, a new sheet of here's what we we mean by this. Yes. If they're sending around a, a, a sheet which says, spells it out, as people want mm. to happen, for the sake of clarity and for the sake of certainty and confidence in the new hospital... Mm. Well, why can't we put it into the Constitution? And, and we were observing earlier on as well, Sarah, that the, the, the government and Vincent's have slightly different interpretations on the, the influence or the meaning of owning the site. And the government's saying, mm. well, we don't need to own the site because we have exclusive use of the site. So it's kind of immaterial. We might as well own it sure it's as good as anyway. Mm. And you have Vincent's on the other side saying, it's actually very important that we retain ownership of it because it's really mm. important that we have a full integrated service across all of the different operators and entities that all exist on the same campus. So on one side, you have like Vincent saying, it's quite important as a moral point that we keep the site and the government going it's not really sure we basically have the site anyway mm. and they're kind of yeah. both having it both ways Did you want to take us through some of the comments? Yeah well the, 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 it kind of brings us to, to that because the main comment that there's a whole plethora of things but basically a, a, what a, a lot of them come down to like 90% of, of the questions are uh, why won't the religious order slash the sisters slash whoever it is sell it or why won't the state just buy it and um, I asked the same lawyer that I spoke to earlier on and um, they gave a really good answer or, or gave a really good hypothetical example of let's say for example 
Well, this hospital was not being built in Vincent's. So there was no question of the previous religious ethos of Vincent's coming into play or being influential in the new procedures. Let's say they said, right, let's not do Vincent's because the site isn't appropriate. Let's go five minutes down the road to UCD because UCD has a pretty extensive greenfield lands where there's playing pitches and the likes. It's where a lot of the student nurses and midwives are already based. It's where a lot of the lecturers, the professors and the clinicians already lecture in UCD anyway. Uh, so it's convenient and there's greenfield site and it's beside the N11. So let's just do that. Um, and if you went to UCD and said, can we have a plot of land to uh, build our hospital? please. UCD probably wouldn't give you the full ownership of that either because they would say that they need some integration or they need to have some way of organizing even how you manage traffic in or like how do you figure out car parks if someone owns the car park and someone else owns the plot of land that the car park is servicing and that there's all these other kind of bureaucratic complaints to which it makes sense for UCD to own literally the land but to give you like exclusive unfettered use to it like basically in perpetuity for like a tenor a year that from his perspective it made a lot of sense and if you take out the question of religion there is maybe some value to that and this goes back a little bit to what we were saying last week that the government reckons that it's got the best of both worlds by getting effectively exclusive use of the land without having to pay 200 million euro for the market price of a massive tract of pristine greenfield land in Dublin 4. But then it probably goes back to that point that you made then that it's the National Maternity Hospital. Yeah. Like everything just comes back to that. This is an actual I know. thing. And I suppose as well, like well, we spoke about this last week, so I don't want to labour the point too much, but like, you know, again, you know, we can see from women and the reaction that women have online about this. Like you're asking women to kind of put their faith in something that's left them down so many times before. Yeah. And you're asking women to trust, um, you know, essentially an institution that uh, incarcerated them for having babies about... 40 years ago mm. so like it's you know like the, the reservations around it and like you're right the minister did acknowledge that today in terms of those reserva- reservations in fact he opened his uh, remarks or, or one of his opening remarks today was about the fact that Ireland didn't have a great track record in terms of um, maternity services so you know I think it's good to see the government finally taking that turning point and understanding those reservations Yeah. but um, the reality of the reservations are, are a much more deep rooted thing for women um, you found yourself kind of almost inadvertently in the firing line as well because the aforementioned oh minister God, uh, yeah. shared uh, a, a package that you did which wasn't advocating no. the case one or the other it was Absolutely just highlighting yeah. the state of the current Paulist Street yeah yeah I mean things you don't want in life are retweets from Stephen Donnelly <laughs> to be honest <laughs> uh, I didn't appreciate that minister there's a life history. lesson I don't think yeah. the minister listens to the group chat so I'm sure actually he's... just putting he took it out of context which I was a bit frustrated yeah. about you know I felt like he took my, my story from the day and retweeted it in the context context of you know yeah. look, this is this, why we need the new yeah, hospital yeah and that's not what that story was about you know that story was about you know going in and hearing from people who work there giving them a chance to chime in on the debate hear from them and mm. just the way it was taken a context was was quite inappropriate actually and mm. quite disappointing and yeah. he also used your, your handle in the, in the tweet as well oh, which yeah, like, that you got you were Stephen Donnelly has never once liked or retweeted a tweet of mine this is the first just time as well, I'd say now. bearing <laughs> in mind based on that evidence oh never again <laughs> never again but the the thing as well, um, like the tweet there sort of said, the quote tweet on it was sort of saying, oh, this is why we can't have any more delays, mm. right? That is a political argument which your reporting didn't make. Mm. Your mm. reporting spoke to the need for a new national maternity hospital, which, yeah. hey, 
everybody agrees with. It doesn't matter. That's but not the point. Nobody disagrees with that. Exactly. That wasn't the point. Like the point was to hear from people who worked there and give them a voice on it. And you know that was, of course, like nobody disagrees that we need a new hospital. The the tweet was, you know, was definitely hijacked and taken a little bit out of context, which is quite disappointing. Uh, you know, considering I'd only spoken recently about my time on Twitter, I did have to block several <laughs> people. And so many so people saying to me, yeah. "I'm so disappointed in you, Zara. I used to like you." I was like, "What are you talking about?" Oh, because now you've become a spokesperson for because, the sisters. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. And like because the story had been completely hijacked and kind of put out of context, which was disappointing. Uh, just as a closing note on how the ownership of hospitals, and this points to, to your uh, annoyance, Richard, that is it truly a national maternity hospital if the state doesn't own it? It turns out that the state or even the existing hospital doesn't own the mm. land upon which it is built because it was disclosed today, uh, Wednesday, at the Oireachtas Health Committee that the current uh, landlord of uh, the National Maternity Hospital Hollow Street is a guy called the Earl of Pembroke um, who basically owned pretty much all of the south inner city uh, and the land the hospital was built on his land and there is now a, a fella in his early 40s called William Herbert who is the 18th Earl of Pembroke who is the landlord of the National Maternity Hospital right now Fantastic. and even more interestingly to prove that maybe you, you can't always have huge influence uh, his father was a film director Henry Herbert and uh, has a little bit of a history making some blue movies oh dear um, so he was the, at the and bear in mind the chair of the current National Maternity Hospital where terminations are also carried out is the Catholic Archbishop of Dublin uh, so at one point, the uh, landlord for the National Maternity Hospital, chaired by a Catholic Archbishop, was a guy who makes skin flicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, isn't that some thought more you know huh? <laughs> phenomenal um, just, I suppose a quick mention just obviously a significant development in the Department of Health this week Ronan Glynn's leaving yeah another brain drain yeah huge that's, brain that's drain absolutely yeah yeah exodus so just to let you know what's happening he's leaving uh, in three weeks time the 31st of May he is going to a consultancy firm EY he's going to be working on their health advisory team um, he's going to be basically doing advisory work to health sectors here <clears throat> excuse me in Ireland and abroad uh, I believe he's taking the summer off and he's starting in September. Um, this kind of came about through a conversation with our colleague Ashley Cushlin in the newsroom of the night and then uh, following a couple of phone calls it was like, oh yeah, mm. it turns out he is actually leaving. Which uh, will be probably a disappointment uh, to some in government, Richard, because as you uncovered when you were uh, working on your very well-received book, that the... A state uh, of emergency, still in all good bookshops. Still in all good bookshops right now. Um, that the, the government just liked Ronan Glynn maybe a little bit more than they liked Tony Houlihan or that he just seems to not ruffle feathers in the same way that, that Tony did. Yeah, I think that's actually true of people who were on Netflix as well as in government is that people found Ronan Glynn a little bit easier to deal with at times. Not everybody, I yeah. will say that. But um, people in government, whether they be in the highest of offices, did prefer it when they were dealing with Ronan Glynn. They found him a little bit more... <laughs> Affable. That wasn't just because he was filling in for Tony at times when the general COVID situation was good or more positive or trending in the right direction. No. And there's a good quote actually um, from Professor Philip Nolan who used to be the head of modelling um, at Neffet how he spells out that these were two very different people. He said if you say something stupid you'll know you've said it with Tony. You probably won't know it with Ronan. They just have different ways of absorbing what people are telling them and turning it into a proposal, a, a proposal I should say. Tony does it more bluntly and more directly. I think people would think that Ronan is inclusive and takes everybody's views on board and Tony might have formed a view on the way in. Uh, he says though it's that people are, or that those two guys are absorbing information in different ways but I mean the question coming out of it which people like Roisin Short all the Social Democrats have mm. posed is how come everybody is leaving? Mm. 
Yes, and both wrote about this yesterday. Yeah, Roisin's a bit concerned about this, especially you point to things like Anna O'Connor leaving the HC as well. There's just been a lot of sort of senior departures within the health service across the board mm. and that it raises that question about the government's ability to retain talent, actually. You could argue, though, very straightforwardly, that after something as exhausting as People a pandemic, want to it would be very yeah. difficult to get your mojo back for the day job if you've just been through something as as but, exhausting but as that. I suppose people would have expected that Ronan Glynn would have been a front-runner for the CMO gig, let's be honest. Like, that was definitely talked mm-hmm. about around town. Like, that's what people were saying. And it would be a lot of institutional knowledge not, lost if he it, didn't people follow. People did yeah. say, would Ronan Glynn end up getting the job in Trinity if the job in Trinity was to come back around again? Like, that was the conversation. Like, yeah. Let's be honest, like, People were having those conversations. So for Ronan Glynn to be completely off the pitch for those kind of significant roles, like that's two major gaps at the top of the Department of Health now that need to be filled. Mm. Which is I, I there, yeah, Sorry, no, there wasn't a huge amount of surprise either that these people are leaving. Mm. That there is a, f- a view that the atmosphere around mm. health and the running of government as well is pretty bad. There's a lot of scrutiny on things like Tony Houlihan's appointment. Mm. And yeah, as you say, these are big shoes to fill. But you remember like, when, when you were working on your book, and it's also covered in the the uh, the other uh, more more recent book about the pandemic, uh, the book by Hugh O'Connell and Jack Horgan-Jones, uh, mm. Pandemonium, uh, also now available in all good bookshops yes. and probably some, some crap ones too, um, that the Department of Health kind of found itself at a bit of a loose end that when, uh, for example, when Stephen Donnelly took over, that it lost, um, Tony Houlihan went on, on compassionate leave and the Secretary General, the guy who preceded Robert Watt. Oh yeah, that was left, a time of big change. Left the at the department. same time. So yeah. Stephen Donnelly yeah. was moving in to a brand new department and didn't have the existing CMO or the existing Sec Gen. And now, at, at the other end of Stephen Donnelly's tenure, because he might be gone out of there by December, again, the CMO and the Deputy CMO, who have accumulated huge institutional knowledge between for the last two years, mm. are now just gone out and whoever else is substituting will probably have been around, but won't have nearly the same level of, of uh, familiarity with... Now, it is worth noting there's, there's quite a number of other DCMOs that aren't front-facing. The reality is that the ones that mm. maybe were front-facing and had that public trust or whatever, they're, you know, they're, yeah. they're now leaving. Um, we have to move on. We have to sort of wrap Speaking up. Speaking of talent. Speaking <laughs> of talent. It's Eurovision week, everyone. Is that the Eurovision theme song? You, you've, sorry, we, sorry, we were know, sorry. sorry. We were rehearsing this, and you were like really bushing up, and you're like, God, it turns out I'm a real Eurovision buff, <laughs> and you don't recognise <laughs> well, the Eurovision theme music. No, I didn't mean I was like a buff, and yeah, go on, let's just move on. Um, so, it, like, it is Eurovision week. Uh, this is coming out on a Thursday morning. Ireland's entry, Brooks Gullion, will be participating in the second semi final, which is tonight. I like the song. Uh, I really Good. like Derry the song. Lipa, yeah. Derry Lipa, yeah. Derry Lipa. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, I can't remember who came up with that. It's very neat. Sounds like an Eva Grace Moore thing. Did she say that? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Uh, so her song is called That's Rich. Uh, I quite like the song. I think it's, I think a, it's among good, the yeah. better songs that Arden has contributed in the last 10 years or so. Um, she apparently is, is not favoured. I was seeing, looking at the odds earlier on today and she, she is not favoured to get through the semi-final and to get into the grand final, which I think is is harsh because I think it's just a, it's among the better Eurovision songs that we've had for yeah, a while. Like we've lost our, our Eurovision no, well, mojo. We, we have. Were fabulous but, in the early we, 90s. We're done now. But it's we've basically rigged it because she's from Derry and the televote of the United Kingdom is in our semi-final, which means that all of her friends and family will actually be able to vote for her, which is sort of, we're going to get to which is not here. how Eurovision's kind of supposed to work. You're not supposed to be able to vote for yourself, and she can. Oh, so surely like we're going to get through to like the final. I don't know, is that enough to get us there? What do you think? I mean, like how we get the old deuce par uh, for the UK like with me, the I mean, Royal Uni? Do you know what? It's I so funny that you wait to see if England are giving us. Do you know what's really embarrassing is they often give us their twelve points and we don't return we the favour. We are actually really not very kind <laughs> in the return on that. I think we're, we're quite well. I wouldn't say we're. 
great judges of talent, I would say, either based on some of the countries we've given 12 points to over the years. <laughs> but I don't Harsh think this, words. I don't think this the year's, jury. I don't think this year's Eurovision will be necessarily all about talent. No. Ukraine is the heavy favourite to yes. win mm. for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, Which is not that the song is very good. Yeah, some people really it, like it. I thought I've, it I've was actually heard, uh, Well, I've heard a few commentators. I've listened to a few Eurovision podcasts in yeah. preparation I, for this and people do like I, it. I really watched like it the first like semi-final in which Ukraine was a participant and I didn't think much of the song. What was your favourite Eurovision ever? Ever. Uh, Irish entry or international entry? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> like not You're necessarily. You're not into euphoria, Lorene territory. No, I did love that. There was yeah. a song that didn't win the Eurovision in 2005 called Talking to You. It was Denmark's entry, which I still actually think I listen to quite regularly. I that, That's the measure of a... Didn't win around Of a non-self-described Eurovision buff is that you have a favourite Eurovision song which wasn't a win. winner. Mm. Yeah, so 2004 was yeah. a big Eurovision year for me. I was 15 and Chris Doran was from Waterford and he was the Eurovision entry. Mm. So, And I had just got on my work experience into WL Wars. That was my first foray into media. And was covering his was covering Eurovision Chris Doran kind of winning Eurostar and going to going to Eurovision. Aww, that's quite sweet. So, though. I mean, yeah. So like a 15 year old me was sort of like buzzing with the excitement and Waterford was alight with excitement that year with Chris sure Doran going to Eurovision. Um, so yeah, we had a great, we had a great little buzz that time and he was like performing in town all the time and there was like concerts in the run up to and a great buzz around. So yeah, 2004 was a good year. Like, I was, was once to you, upon a time. Yeah, no, but I was saying to both of you. Now we never seem to rock and roll <laughs> anymore. Well, I've been waiting for that. I don't know. He's he's for either, either, either for that or for hold me now. Okay. You know. um, As a fellow Bozeman, Johnny don't be, Logan. Don't be afraid the dream's not real. Uh, was that 87, Johnny Logan? Hold me I now is, is 87, yeah. I think ABBA was really year was 80. Yeah. That euphoria one from a couple of years ago. Oh, was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very good. Yeah. Like, I didn't, so obviously in preparation for this, we were all just standing there looking at, I didn't realise really like how, how, how successful I knew we were very successful at Eurovision but like that early 90s bounce was pretty Actually, phenomenal we were basically broke from having to host the thing oh. every year for like well, five years yeah well, I mean yeah <laughs> but amazing though no yeah. I actually like the Father Ted joke wasn't all that wide of the mark like they were looking for excuses so as not to have to host <laughs> the bloody thing anymore well I mean listen we've been 20, we're 20 years without it nearly now uh, we are I think we take it too seriously. Years Do you think we take it too seriously? Yeah. We sent dust in the turkey. So exactly. But how like, do we look at Moldova last seriously? night in the preliminaries or whatever. Nobody takes it seriously. Nobody takes it seriously. I hard disagree on that. People take it quite seriously. Some people people invest in it and they enjoy it and all that sort of stuff. But it's not like it's never like it's not it's not always here's our best possible song. But a lot for Definitely a lot of, for a lot Sorry, of countries, can I just, it is. Lot, so can I just quote you from that? Gavin last night was like, "Yeah, the time we sent Jedward, like lipstick was a cracker that of a song. Song. <laughs> Lipstick was a great song. That was, but a good it was song let down, and, and they soiled their year legacy by doing Waterline really the following year. Waterline wasn't nearly as good a song. It probably had it's better staging, but wasn't as good a song. Yeah." Like Eurovision, so like growing up, I think Eurovision, like that early 90s, I suppose, was really the peak of it, wasn't it? Like well, I made my communion on the 13th of May in 1995, and I remember us like in my communion dress watching the Eurovision. The, the one that Ireland didn't win. Yeah. The, the, the only one the only of that one sequence that we didn't, that we didn't yeah, win. Yeah. Uh, which an Irish songwriter, I think, wrote. It was the Norwegian oh. Secret Garden. And there was either an Irish violinist or an Irish songwriter who wrote yeah. it. So we sort of kind of won it anyway. Um, but no, like, that wasn't a joke. The Father Ted thing about how they were looking for excuses to get rid. To the point where I, I remembered there was some talk about if Ireland won it again, that partly because it was the, the mid to late 90s, it's like the, the final season of Derry Girls sort of timeline, <laughs> that uh, we should put it on in Belfast, but invite the BBC on as co-host so that they could help to shoulder the burden of mm. hosting the bloody thing because it was setting us back loads. And I don't think we also don't appreciate how now it's all like it's become very electronic and sort of like, you know, mm. and, and dance oriented. We were 
partly responsible for that because when we hosted the Eurovision four times in five years, we had to move it away from the, here is a conductor, here is an orchestra, like a here is a woman coming out singing a power ballad, here is another person coming out and singing a power ballad. the ballad so era. we were the ones who kind of mixed it up and turned it into this like real Y2K information age Did we? stuff that we were partly responsible for turning it into the, the giant electronica beast that we can't win anymore. It's all our doing. Oh. Let's fill this memory. Let's take it on. Oh, Go on, God. Brooke. <laughs> Let's give, give, make a stream. <laughs> I think it's a cracking song and we're all so uh, rooting for Brooke. We wish you the best of luck. We do. Sure. We absolutely do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before we wrap up, by the way, uh, and we should, uh, of course, always thank people for listening and encourage you to subscribe and to like and to leave a review on any um, platforms uh, where it's available. I-, I meant to say this last week. I have to thank the family from County Ross Common, who I won't name in oh, case yeah. they didn't ask to be identified, um, who listened to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, who heard that I mentioned by the by that I just didn't happen to get any Easter eggs this yeah. year because we have small children and we're just disorganised and we didn't get a chance to sort them out uh, and very kindly sent me an Easter egg they sent you yeah. a, pa- a box of Scots Clan which they you sent really me an Easter well. egg oh, and, nice. and a bag of Scots Clan which yeah. I mentioned I was delighted with as well and yeah. uh, two packets of puttons for my, my daughters which That's was just really lovely uh, so I won't name them but I was really uh, very touched by that so thank you for sending that in um, and can I just any other business one other thing I want to say a good friend of ours a good supporter and friend of the pod Louise O'Neill you might know her uh, she's got a new book out Idle it's out today actually and we're all going to go to go out together to the book there it's only good, Richard. Yeah. Isn't any good? Amazing. Oh. Yeah. Five stars, baby. <laughs> <laughs> if you think this was five star content, do leave a review uh, on your platform of choice and do subscribe and uh, do please listen. Uh, and thank you very much uh, for listening this week. That is all that we've got for you. So a big thank you to Richard Chambers. Richard, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Zara King, thank you very much. Thank you very and much. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Bye.